Welcome to Leveraging the Laboratory, a Mayo Clinic Laboratories podcast for administrators, outreach managers, and laboratory professionals to learn how best to leverage and optimize the laboratory for patients, clients, and staff. I'm Jane Hermanson, Outreach Manager at Mayo Clinic Laboratories. And joining me today are Brianne Newton and Ellen Dykman-Dalkas, Mayo Clinic Laboratories Outreach Solutions Strategists. The focus of today's discussion is industry trends. So here we are, 2023. So mark that date. This is when we're recording this one today. When we think about industry trends, we have seen a lot of changes in healthcare, unprecedented times. And especially in the laboratory, we've seen so much change. And we face all kinds of challenges every day. But we've each had the opportunity over the last several months to attend regional meetings, national meetings, and we've picked up some common themes from those. So we thought that we would share some of those themes with you today. Just a little background for me. One thing that I like to do is when I meet somebody from our industry is to ask them what the three things are that are going to cause them stress tomorrow when they go back to work in their laboratory. And I've been asking this question of peers for nearly 10 years, and I've seen some consistency in their answers. And I've also seen some shifting challenges over the years, which is really interesting. So I know what number one is what I've heard other people say, but Brianne, Ellen, you ladies are out there talking with different people that I'm talking to. So do you have any guesses as to what the number one challenge is that you're hearing about or any suggestions? Well, it's an S word, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Brianne? Begins with could, S and ends could, in... Yeah, staffing? could it possibly be staffing? <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. Might be staffing. Absolutely. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. That's number one. So we'll talk about that. Let's get through the, the top ones first and let's make sure we're all kind of agreeing as to what they are. And then uh, then we'll talk about them. How about number two? What do you think that one might be? I have my opinion from what I've heard, but you might have heard from other people. What do you think? Well, a bunch of initials, right? ECRA and PAMA and SALSA. And so <laughs> I think it's got to be regulatory issues, how to stay current I think, and compliance so you don't get in trouble. I don't know. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, same. How do I stay out of trouble even when I stumble into it and didn't mean to? Well, and I think also then you've got your CLIA, your CAP, all of your inspecting and regulatory agencies to make sure you're keeping your laboratory in alignment with what the accrediting groups need as well. And those rules are always changing. And depending on who your inspectors are, it could be a real challenge. So I see that as another kind of aspect of that whole regulatory requirement thing. How about number three? Any thoughts, guys? We talked about staffing, right? We've got the whole regulatory and policy stuff. Any thoughts as to what you're hearing is number three? I'm going to say probably dollars. It is needing to find ways to come up with more money for increased costs in supplies, increased costs in staffing salaries, decreased reimbursement. Where are we going to find these dollars to keep labs open, up and running? Yeah. And how to measure your costs and what do you measure? I mean, everything money. I think I agree with you, Brianne money, money, you guys are exactly aligned. And what I will add is kind of a number four, a fourth trend, which is really directly related to number one and number three. And it comes down to the laboratory getting support for what they need and having the executive level of the organization understand the value of the lab and supporting them. And it's interesting because in this post SARS-CoV-2 pandemic-ish 
time, we're pretty comfortable with complex technology. We had to really flex some new muscles related to technology. That used to be quite high as far as concerns for lab leaders, but it's not really that much of a big a deal today. So it's really more of getting that leadership support for what they need. And guess what? If you have leadership support, staffing might be a little easier. If you've got good leadership support, your financial pressures may not be as great because they understand what you're going through. Just my thought. So let's use those three as our framework today. And what we'll do is discuss the trend and put an outreach spin on it, if that sounds okay with you guys. Great. So Ellen, you use the S word, staffing. I think staff are overworked and they're feeling understaffed and they're constantly in the framework of training. Many hospitals are using travelers and folks that are embedded in the staff are training those travelers and they may be doing it every 13 weeks. Sometimes the contract with a traveler is longer. They're training students or they should be training students. I've seen really creative ways to retain those students through hiring bonuses and maybe paying for their last year of school. Entry-level positions, incredibly important, but how do you keep them when you know there's a food service vendor down the street that can offer them what you're offering them and you're expecting a whole lot more out of your staff that come into the lab? So I've seen a real big initiative for institutions to grow their own. Maybe somebody comes in with a bachelor of science degree that isn't healthcare focused. And how do you make that bachelor degree employee able to work in your laboratory? So doing some online programs, partnering or beginning a partnership with a medical technology school. I've seen created career ladders because, you know, the MLT and the MT are very different when maybe they first come out of school, but over four or five years, everybody's doing the same job. So then, you know, there's a career ladder so that they can keep those employees and grow them professionally. I think staffing is how to grow your own, how to keep your own. And of course, you know, the baby boomers are retiring. So you're losing the brain drain, but folks are tired. And, you know, leadership has equally amount of pressures on them as hospitals are facing a deficit in their revenues. And uh, COVID really hit everybody hard. And, and I think we're still coming out of it, Jane. And it's not easy for anybody right now. Brianne, what kind of thoughts do you have? I know you had a very strong education background, so you were the one training new folks yes. to come in. <laughs> yes, any any yes. thoughts from that perspective? Actually, just the other day, just had this thought was in that role inside of an education training program for MLTs. I remember just begging hospitals to be clinical sites, and it depends on the market and what's going on in your immediate area and, and where they are but it was so difficult to place students sometimes. And I thought, goodness, I wonder how different it would look now <laughs> where hospitals are then reaching out to programs. Please tell me you have students, please send me some more. And just what the last few years have done to switch that paradigm is just very interesting. And I would love to see and talk to someone on the other side of that. What I would just say is just another facet of what Ellen's brought up, which is staffing so far as outreach goes, I think, is creating an, an additional challenge to those that are considering starting an outreach program or the continued success of an existing outreach program because how can I justify or propose bringing in additional volumes to my laboratory if I don't have people <laughs> to adequately staff to run them? And so it is a catch-22 in a lot of ways. You know, is it 
build it and they will come or will they come and then we'll build it. <laughs> and so going back and forth with that, but uh, just mirroring her thoughts is it is a serious problem. And the most successful ways that we have seen to address this and to mitigate it is for, for hospitals, for organizations to grow their own. The nuances of what that looks like is a little different from client to client, but that has become now the main method for combating this. And that's looking inside, that's creating or applying to start your own program. But most of the time, the ones most successful are those that are taking existing employees and through additional training and additional education, helping them to then become the more technical and the more experienced staff. What Brienne was talking about really gets to the next piece of the money, right? And so if you're growing an outreach program, start to build the business case for that so that you can justify the FTEs. And then maybe you have a short-term plan and a long-term plan to invest in technology so that it, you know, a lot of places are now integrated with their EMR, with their lab EMR. That takes out some of the work, the lift on your specimen receivers to do that work. So if you use the, make it a business case, I think that really helps to grow an outreach business and put the metrics in hand. Absolutely. And I think what both of you said is, boy, how do you grow your volumes if you don't have the staff in place to perform it? And we even run into a lot of groups who are so challenged with phlebotomy staffing, they're saying, okay, I have to close this draw site. Well, you close that draw site, guess what? Patients are going to go to the path of least resistance, find another spot, and they may not come back. So staffing is truly the backbone. And we are not out of it yet, but for those of you who know me, you know that I caught the fever to be a, a laboratory medical laboratory scientist when I was eight years old. So I think we as professionals, it's up to us now to start communicating with the young ones and help them understanding if we see an aptitude and affinity for science to tap those people early and help them understand just the wonderful mission that we serve in the medical laboratories and then create as many avenues as we can to get them in. So that's fantastic. Registration is now open for our 34th Outreach Conference. Leveraging the Laboratory Dimensions of Outreach will be held in Chicago, Illinois, September 26th and 27th, 2023. For more information, please visit our mayocliniclabs.com website, click on Education, and then Conferences. I hope to see you there. Just as a trend, obviously, tons and tons of new regulations. Some of these things seem to even be made in a vacuum. You look at ECRA, and it just goes against even some of the things that the Stark and the anti-kickback statutes have said. So you sit there and you go, wait a second, no, which one is the real one to go? And from an outreach perspective and our customers' perspective, a hospital laboratory leader's perspective, any thoughts on how to effectively manage that challenge of staying up to date with all of the regulations and making sure that you're not getting into any trouble? Any thoughts? I think for the laboratory leader, the responsibility actually falls on them. It's not realistic to assume that the leadership of the organization, your senior executives, are going to be able to follow your regulations along with everybody else's. So they are going to continue to look to you as the regulatory expert for your area. The challenge comes with knowing those that affects the operating laboratory and then any 
above and additional to that that touches outreach. But I think the responsibility lies with the lab leader themselves to stay up to date. And whether that means attending webinars and reading publications from your accrediting agency, reaching out to them. Most of them have a question hotline where you can leave a question and they'll get back to you with an answer or refer you to a particular checklist item or standard and and help you begin to clarify what it is, what's not clear in your mind, but also to attend conferences, to reach out and network with your outreach and laboratory peers. How are you addressing this? Did you get an answer when you reached out and and begin to take ownership of the knowledge deficits that you have and do your very best to fill those in because you're being looked at as the person who's going to know. And if all else fails, (laughs) reach out to your hospital legal team and help them begin the process of investigation because that may not be on their radar, but maybe it needs to be and it could be up to you to bring it up to them. And I would just add, if you're growing as a health system, you know, there are subject matter experts probably within your organization that you don't need to recreate the wheel or somebody, there's a pathologist at my old organization that really has taken this on and really goes to Washington and really in tune. So naturally found his niche there. And the other thing it's involving your lab techs to be part of CAP inspections and and get them to learn a little bit more. I think we all have a role to sort of ask for assistance as well as grow folks that can help. Absolutely. All right. Enough on regulations, guys. It's not my favorite topic. You know me. So let's move on to the last part, which is truly my favorite, which is, is your the, favorite. Yes. Is, it's the money. And the Take money, it away, and, Jane. Take it away. Know, take it away. No. So, so financial pressures, my gosh. So you look at it, reimbursements going down costs are going up. And what happens then is that leadership says, come on lab, where are you? What are you going to do for me? And what I try to encourage and what, how I look at it, yes, reimbursements are going down. The government continues to ratchet down the clinical lab fee schedule for Medicare. Insurance companies don't want to pay inappropriately for laboratory tests. So how do we manage that piece of it? Well, number one, let's make sure we're not being wasteful with our testing resources. Although you might be getting paid for it today, it may not be in the best interest of the patient or the person who's paying for it to actually have that test performed. So don't let the fact that you're getting paid drive you to do things that aren't in the best interest of the patient. So having a good strong lab stewardship process, using things like algorithms rather than broad profiles and panels are going to actually help drive to the right testing done for the right reason in the right order. So you're not actually doing too many tests and then charging for all of those. So I see that as one piece of managing and making sure that you're doing the right testing and not over abusing the financial resource. And of course, when you look at the rising costs, staff are more expensive, supplies are more expensive. But what we find is that lab outreach programs still have a profitable margin. So if we look at the cost of our supplies even though we're, they're more expensive, we're still, based on reimbursement, able to demonstrate a profit. And when our leadership comes down and says, hey, lab, 
we need to cut some costs here, you need to be able to know your numbers. We talked about key performance indicators in a prior podcast here through this podcast series. And you need to know your numbers and say, wait a second, if I cut staff, if I cut these services, here's what's going to happen to the bottom line. And now your profit that we're bringing back to you as an organization goes away. So we need to be able to tell that story. And once we tell that financial story, hopefully our senior leaders are going to look more at us as a revenue solution, not just a cost center. That's kind of my piece on the financial pressures. I mean, that's something that we could talk for hours and hours about because I love that stuff. But I think the last piece, the fourth thing, so we talked about staffing. Number two is the regulations. Number three would be the money. But the fourth thing is getting leadership support. And I talked about the ways that I would actually grab a leader and say, here are the things that we need to do. But if we don't have good admin support, they're not going to recognize an appreciate our value. So from that perspective, you guys, anybody have have any other thoughts on the money piece? No, I think it's just making a business case to work smarter and not harder Mm -hmm. to invest in maybe billing systems or how many, how many labs still have their techs answering the phone call, you know, and they're getting distracted and there's a quality issue maybe where, you know, they're going to enter a wrong result. So I think it's really having, looking at the job briefs of what people are doing. Every job brief right now has scope creep and really level set and get the right people doing the right job. And maybe it's turning up ending and, and creating and trying new things in the lab. I think maybe just an overall assessment of current state might be really good to help plan future state. Yeah, I agree with Ellen and, and Jane, what you said as far as having up-to-date metrics, if you have those available to you, if not, begin developing them so that the automatic assumption of your leader may be that the laboratory is a cost center. That's what they've heard. That's what they're going to assume. It's up to you to prove them differently. And the only way to do that is with effective and up-to-date data. Show them your streamlining. Show them that you're trying to reduce costs, but also make sure that you've provided yourself the opportunity to show them that you're also making money. Absolutely. Well, and in the spring of 2023, of course, we celebrated our annual Medical Laboratory Professionals Week, Lab Week, and we talked about how physicians can't do it without us. And if the laboratory is under such tremendous financial pressure, you're having to cut staff, you're having to reduce services, it's going to impact turnaround time, could potentially impact quality. All of a sudden, a cheap lab test is useless when it comes to overall patient care. So we need to be able to articulate that piece as well. So I think that we can't solve those problems, but we certainly know what the problems are. And hopefully we gave you some really interesting ways to address it today. So time for a little rapid fire questions. Brianne, if you had a magic wand, if you could address one of those trends we talked about, what would you address and what would you do about it? Oh, if I could, I would remove the staffing conundrum for everybody. <laughs> and, and that's the one I feel like is the, is the most pressure right now, because having been in lab management, there is enough pressure elsewhere, the financial, the regulatory, who's setting up a new lab down the road, the, the competitive market and the competitive landscape, having to worry about finding people, qualified people to come in and perform the tests should be the very last of their worries. And then we touched on it briefly earlier, which is 
further out future concern for our field as well is awareness and excitement about the field of lab medicine and beginning to create more of those pipelines, more of those grow your own programs so that we can continue to have qualified people in the lab. But that would be my wand. Just wave it and there's plenty of great lab techs to go around. Staffing number one. Okay, Ellen, your turn next. If you had a magic wand, what trend would you address and why? I would say the staffing, just like Brianne. I think that the turnover and no professional growth for people working in the lab is, is very challenging. They're having to do more with less. And I think senior leaders need to recognize that. And how do you do that is you invite them to your laboratory, maybe partner with HR to look at partnering with med tech programs or beginning one and really uh, show the value of your lab that you want to keep your staff. And then staff want to grow. They don't want to come in as a phlebotomist or a lab aide or an MLT and not have anywhere to go in their career because they will find it. So how do you grow and mentor them to grow up within your organization? Fantastic. Giving them some hope for the future, right? So my magic wand, I would actually use it to increase administrative support of the laboratory and help them understand and recognize what the value of the laboratory is. One, what the value of the laboratory is. Two, what the value of the outreach program is. And when they are not aware of that value, that's when they are very vulnerable to an independent laboratory who may come and try to purchase that activity. And then all of your revenue stream is gone. You lose control of your diagnostics and now we're not able to effectively care for our patients. So my magic wand would actually be not one of the top three trends, but really gaining the executive support. So that's my view. And I hope that these views actually helped our audience. So Brianne, Ellen, thank you both for sharing your thoughts on the current industry trends and challenges that we're seeing when we're out working with our customers across the country. I hope that our audience has gained some new insights into what's going on in the world around us and maybe some tricks to keep your outreach program in step with our changing times. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you, Brianne. Thank you for listening to Leveraging the Laboratory, a podcast from Mayo Clinic Laboratories. We invite you to share your thoughts and questions by email. Please direct any suggestions to mcloutreach at mayo.edu and reference this podcast. If you've enjoyed this Leveraging the Laboratory podcast, please subscribe. And until next time, we encourage you to continue to promote your community-based hospital laboratory. And remember, the needs of the patient come first. Thank you.